Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. I invite you to take your Bibles and join me in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. The first uh, six weeks of the year, we've been studying in the introduction, the first 14 verses of Ephesians. And today we enter into the body of the text, verses 15 and 16. The title of today's message, You and Your Love, which I think is appropriate for the holiday. Here's uh, what Paul has to say to the church at Ephesus, verse 15, chapter 1. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading, study of his word. This title today comes from verse 15, you and your love. That, that uh, is appropriate for Valentine's Day. You do know the story of St. Valentine, don't you? Uh, Valentinus was priest that lived in the third century. And Claudius, the Roman emperor, needed more soldiers. And it was Claudius's belief that soldiers who were unmarried were unencumbered and would be more courageous in battle than those who were married and had children back home to think of. And so he passed a law that the soldiers could no longer marry. And Valentinus opposed that as a priest of God and he secretly wed many young couples there in the third century until it was discovered what he was doing. He was cast into prison and ultimately killed for that. But while in prison, he used to smuggle cards of encouragement out to his parishioners and he would sign all of them from your Valentinus. And it was based on love. Well, that's a beautiful story, of course, today, as often is the case that a beautiful expression of love gets commercialized. And today, Valentine's Day is, is known more for hearts and roses and chocolate than anything else. And if you're really fortunate jewelry, Uh, I did what I often do when I need to know what my wife is thinking. I ask my eight-year-old daughter, Aubrey, <laughs> what we should do for mom for Valentine's Day. And knowing, I guess, that she was a homeschooling mother of four and had a husband at home at sometimes a little high maintenance, Aubrey, without missing a beat, says she probably wants a day off from all of us. <laughs> and so that's what we plan to do this year is give mom a day off. Some of you that give jewelry, you might notice there's a particular brand of jewelry that's popular this time of year. It's called Open Hearts Jewelry. Their theme on their commercials is, if you will open your heart, love will find its way in. And that's a lovely sentiment. The only problem with that is that if love is simply something we stumble into accidentally, it's something we can stumble out of accidentally, right? And of course, that is the order of the day, unfortunately, in, in our own culture. In fact, uh, the, the beautiful actress that endorses that particular line of jewelry just last year filed for her fourth divorce. But that is the idea that so many in our culture have of love. It's something beyond our control. It's something we don't put any thought into. It's just how we feel at any one moment in time. That's a far cry from the kind of love that Paul speaks about here that God has for us and that we in the church are to have for one another. So when the Bible speaks of God's love for his children, our love for one another, it, it does so in terms that our culture has a very difficult time comprehending. 
So this morning, I want to make three observations from these two verses. Number one is the love that binds us together. Number two, the love that causes us to be thankful. And number three, the love that bows our knees in prayer. First of all, the love that binds us together. Do you remember the little chorus we used to sing years ago by Otis Skillings? We are one in the bond of love. We are one in the bond of love. We have joined our hearts to the spirit above. We are one in the bond of love. And I spared you from singing that, but you remember the words. We are indeed bound together by God's love. In fact, here in these first 14 verses, we've seen time and again how God determined to love us even before we were ever born. Verse 5 says, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. Now, what motivated in that? It says, in love He did this. It couldn't be the kind of love that uh, is pictured in commercials. It's a determined love where the one loving sets his affection intentionally upon the one who is to be the object of love. And how did he do that? Well, that little prepositional phrase we keep coming back to. He did it in Christ. That is the means by which he showed this predetermined love was in the person and work of Jesus. In the fact that God the Father chose us, he elected us. And in time and space, he brought Jesus into the world to live a perfect life and and show the greatest love that anyone's ever shown. In fact, Jesus said, no greater love is this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. That's the kind of love Jesus determined to, to love us with. Well, you say, oh, wait a second, Pastor. You know, even the love for my children was uh, something I couldn't control. Most of us remember when our, our first child uh, was placed in our arms and the immediate bond and the connection that uh, takes place there. But I dare say there have been days since that child has been born when you had to intentionally love them, when they were behaving in a way that was unlovely, perhaps even unlovable. This is the kind of love that God loves us with. Now when those uh, little babies are, are small and cuddly and sweet, they are not hard to love. But as they grow older and they become rebellious, they have their own mind, their own will, they become increasingly harder to love. And so Paul reminds us in chapter 2 that God was not overwhelmed with our cuteness, right? What does he say in chapter 2? You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He says we were formerly lived in the lust of the flesh. We were not so attractive that God could not resist loving us. He loved us even when we were unattractive. The point is that Paul is making verses 15 and 16, because God has loved us that way, we should love one another. Again, the text, verse 15, for this reason I too, having heard of the faith of the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Our love for one another begins with God's love for us, and then it continues on because of our common confession in Christ. That is what bonds us together. Listen to Colossians 3.12. So as those who have been chosen by God, there's God's loving us first, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. 
Now, when he says put on love, he's not saying fake it. In our culture, a put on is someone who's a hypocrite, who's insincere. They put on a mask, in other words. But when Paul says put on love, he's saying it, put it on as clothing. He often says in his epistles to take off sinful deeds of the flesh and put on righteousness. And so every day I take it we're to put on love. That is a predetermined will to love other Christians. Why should we love other Christians? Well, he says because Christ first loved us and gave us the example, but also because we have something in common. The person you love is the person you have something in common with, either heredity, your family members, or, or, or someone you like to spend time with. But I think we've taken this too far in the evangelical church, that our unity is based on those who are most like us. There is movement, has been for some time, to segregate churches into interest groups, whether it's cowboy churches or motorcycle club churches or, or whatever your affinity happens to be. And I try not to be very hard on those people because God knows their heart. They, they seem to be trying to reach a group of people that aren't being reached and we need more of that. But the truth is this, what binds Christians together is not hobbies. What binds Christians together is not shared interest. What bonds Christians together is our common confession of faith in Christ alone. And so we can have sweet fellowship with people who don't look anything like us or act like we do or have any of the same hobbies that we do. Brother Lawrence Duhan returned yesterday from a trip to Indonesia and they traveled on to Papua New Guinea and he said that the village that they ended up in, they were the first Anglos in that village since 1982. No one born after 1982 in that village had ever seen a white person. And yet, years ago, missionaries came, and many of those people came to faith, and now they're into second and third generation Christians. And I said, Lawrence, did you find those people were bonded to you by your shared interests? <laughs> they had none. In fact, no one has the same shared interest as Lawrence Duhon. <laughs> and I mean that in love. He's a unique fellow. He's got all kind of interest. And I doubt very many of those people take pictures of butterflies and dragonflies and birds like he likes to. That's not what bound them together. It was their love for one another. You've ever been on a mission trip, you know this is true. You can go to a place or you don't speak the same language, but when it becomes known that you're a Christian, you are received with love and your hearts are knitted together because of your love for Christ. And so it begins with that uh, common confession and expands on to a deepening and ever-growing relationship. By the way, faith in Christ naturally leads then to love for Christians. I have people tell me all the time, and I'm slack-jawed every time I hear it. Pastor, I love Jesus. I just hate Christians. Can't stand those Christians down at the church. They're hypocrites. I think, come on, there's room for one more. There's always room. The, the, the point is this. How can we say we love Jesus when we don't love those that Jesus loves and those who he died for? Here's what John says in his gospel, John 13, 50, uh, 35 recording what Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love to one another. And so the, the, the calling card of Christians is not that we wear the same t-shirt, it's the fact 
that we love other Christians. And then in 1 John 4, he says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. So, so what binds this church together and all true churches together? Is it politics? Heavens, no. Is it musical taste? Of course not. Is it common ancestry? No, we have people from all over the world here now. What binds us together is our faith in Christ, which causes us to love one another. I see this every time one of you uh, is in the hospital and we go to visit there and I find that almost every time one of you has beat me there. In fact, oftentimes in some of our classes, there's so many people who've come to pray and offer support that the nurses have to ask some of you to leave and go home. That's a great problem to have. It's because of our, our love for one another. The second thing we see here is, is what causes us to be thankful. Look at verse 16. He says, I do not cease giving thanks for you. So Paul's thanksgiving was not a one-time feeling, a one-and-done, one-off. You know, we have one day a year we call thanksgiving. But Paul says that his heart has a continuous attitude of thankfulness as he thinks about these Christians in Ephesus. Now, in the New Testament, we find a number of things that we can be thankful for as it concerns the church. For example, the Bible says we are to spur one another, encourage one another on to good works. We're thankful for the encouragement that our common shared faith in Christ affords us. We are thankful that for their love for Jesus. You can't help but, but to be thankful when you find that people love who you love. Those of you who have welcomed recently um, a person into your home who married your child, you know that uh, you love them because they love your child. We love others because they love Jesus. He, he's thankful for people who pray for him. Aren't you thankful for people that pray for you regularly? I, I talk to missionaries all the time, and almost to the person, they will say that the thing they need most and they're most thankful for is prayer. We're thankful for others who give us help in time of need. Paul often would take up collections for those who are less fortunate. And he often gave thanks for churches like Macedonia who opened their hearts and their wallets in time of need. He, he gave thanks for their accountability, right? That, that he was not in it. Did you notice that every time Paul went off on a missionary adventure, he always came back to his home church of Antioch and gave them a report? It was because they knew those were the ones who loved him and were praying for him. He was often thankful for the perseverance of the saints. He knew it was a difficult time in which to be a believer. Persecution all around. And as he said to the Philippian church, I thank, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always making every request with joy. Every time he thought of them, he was in a prison, he was on a boat about to sink, he was being beaten with a whip. He thought of the Philippian believers and it brought him joy. Now I'm speaking of the kind of love that churches are supposed to have because you and I know that the families in this church are going through the same things that families who are not in the church are going through. Heartache, sickness, layoffs, surgery, rebellious children, financial problems. The difference is we have one another. I've said it a million times, I don't know how people who don't have a church home make it because we're so dependent upon this accountability and this love Concern for one another. I can't tell you how important it is. 
But unfortunately, even in a church like ours, there are those who find it difficult to, to get close because maybe they, they've been burned in the past and so they come to church occasionally or maybe every week, but they, they kind of remain aloof. They don't join a Sunday school class. They don't join a Bible study or a small group, but, but they enjoy the music and they, they enjoy coming to hear the word, but that's not enough. The Bible did not create any of us to be spiritual islands unto ourselves. We have been given one another that we may exercise our spiritual gifts for the glory of Christ, yes, but through the means of the local church. But to do that means you will have to be vulnerable. You have to let people into your life. And you, will be have, you, you have to be willing to take on responsibility to be inconvenienced, to love other people like you want to be loved. That's what a church should be. And by the way, that's what a marriage should be. It ought to be two imperfect people encouraging one another in their faith. Loving each other because Jesus loves them. Praying for another regularly. Helping one another in times of need. Being accountable to the vows that you've made to one another. And persevering till death parts you. That's real love. May not sell a lot of jewelry, but it's what the Bible says. So what causes us to be thankful? It's the thought that I'm not the only one who loves Jesus. Listen, we have more in common with people on the other side of the world who love Jesus than our neighbors next door who don't. That's what bonds us in this bond of love. So finally, he says, what bows our knee in prayer? Now, Thanksgiving obviously is a part of prayer, but I think he speaks here of prayers of intercession and petition. Look what he says in verse 16. He says, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my what? Prayers. It was the normal course of Paul's day to, to pray for Christians. And by the way, many of these he's writing to, he never met before. He obviously spent a great deal of time in Ephesus during one of his missionary journeys, but this is an encyclical. This is a letter that's meant to be read by a number of churches in, in, a, in a various regions of that area, many of whom likely Paul had never met. Many of them probably had come to faith after Paul's missionary journey was over. And yet he loves them. His heart is united to them. He can't help but be thankful for them and he never ceases to pray for them. Why? Because they love Jesus. The same love that causes us to overflow in thanksgiving will drive us to our knees in prayer. Why should we pray for one another? That seems obvious. Well, for no other reason, the reality of the world that we live in. I can tell you what drives me to pray for my children is when I walk out the door every morning and I go out into this world. And I know the world they're about to inherit. And believe me, that caused me to pray. We ought to have the same concern for one another. Not just our children, but all the children of our church. All the marriages in our church. As we go out and we see the temptation that is all around us, that is rampant. When we see the, the wanton and, and brazen materialism that is on every corner. When we see the temptation to water down the gospel and make it more palatable to our culture. When we just understand the reality of how sinful sin is, it will drive us to pray for one another. Also, we need to be reminded to pray for the sanctification of others. 
This basically is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians when he talks about the relationship of the husband and the wife. We'll get to this in a few weeks. He says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. There's that word. Set her aside as different and special with a purpose having cleansed her by the washing of water with the, world, with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. We should pray for one another in our marriages to that end, and we should pray for one another in the church to that end. And if there's any book of the Bible that speaks of the love that Christians would have to one another. It's, it's that First John passage I mentioned. Let's, let's close there. Will you turn there with me all the way towards the end of your Bible? First John chapter four, verse seven. Remember, the apostle John was known as the apostle that Jesus, what? Loved, okay? And so you think of Valentine's Day, I, I sometimes think of John. Here's the guy that just loved Jesus. He's the, the apostle that was leaning on Jesus' breast there in that upper room the night of Jesus' arrest. He, he's the apostle that followed secretly under cover of darkness and watched Jesus' torture from afar. He, he's the one who every time he thinks about Jesus, he just breaks out in love. And so here's what he says about God's love for us and our love for one another. 1 John 4, 7, he says, beloved, <laughs> that's a term that he used for Christians. And every Baptist preacher I know has co-opted it. In fact, remember back in Ephesians chapter 1, God the Father is referred to by the title of blessed. And Jesus is referred to as the beloved of the Father. And because we are in Christ, we also are beloved by the Father. And so John often would use that expression. And he, he writes to these Christians and he says, beloved let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and, and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His Son and only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen and amen. If for no other reason we ought to put the needs of other people ahead of our own. If no other reason, then we ought to pray for one another. No other reason, then we ought to give thanks for one another. It's that God loved us first and showed us the way through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Let's give him glory and pray to him now. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you that uh, you first loved us. Father, it was not because you were overwhelmed by our attractiveness or our cuteness or our innocence, because none of those things were true. We were not innocent. We were guilty. In fact, the Bible says so guilty we were in bondage to sin, so sinful that our, our hearts were dead. We were spiritually dead. And yet, Lord, you determined to love us, to set your affection on us. And the greatest manifestation that that love is sincere is that you sent what was most precious to you, your dear son, 
into the world to die in our place on the cross. And as Jesus says, no greater love has any man than this, than he would lay down his life for his friend. Lord, we're so grateful that Jesus did in fact lay down his life for us. And in doing so, he showed us how we're to love one another. He shows husbands how to love their wives. He shows wives how to love their husbands. He shows parents how to love their children. He shows pastors how to love their congregation. He shows church members how to love one another. Father, it's not an easy task because we are inundated with messages that love is physical attraction or love is something we stumble into and out of without any will of our own. Lord, help us to reject that false view of love and replace it with the love, the true love that is modeled in the pages of Scripture and here in Ephesians chapter 1. Father, help us to love one another in word and indeed, even as you love us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.